This is the local podcast. I'm Clay Berkland, Director of Agricultural Banking for Pioneer Bank and Trust. My guest today is Justin Tupper with St. Ange Livestock. Justin is a friend both to me and to the livestock business, and we're very pleased to have him on the show today. Justin, welcome. Thanks, Clay. Appreciate you having me on. So uh, besides St. Ange Livestock, you have many interests. Uh, can you share with me some of what you do with your time besides working at St. Ange Livestock? Absolutely. Uh, been involved locally with uh, lots of things, uh, local golf course, the local rodeo course, and and uh, U.S. Cattlemen's a big part of uh, something I do. I'm the vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association uh, lobby group for uh, the cattle industry, and uh, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, working with uh, Congress and trying to move uh, some of those bills and, and get their ear, so to speak. Uh, and, and that's a big part of what we do there at U.S. Cattlemen. So uh, heavy interest on that uh, and a lot because uh, it is what we do. And if uh, we don't stand up and uh, uh, have our voice heard, I don't think uh, anybody's going to do it for us. So that's one of the things that I think is very important in our industry. So uh, U.S. Cattlemen, a uh, big part of uh, what we do outside of the sale barn. Absolutely. So tell me about the golf game. Did you take a few strokes off the handicap this summer? <laughs> I don't know if we got any strokes off, but we did get to play a few uh, rounds a of, of golf. In. Yeah. Good. Yep. So uh, you didn't mention, I know you do have a cow-calf operation warm-up yard there at your house. Uh, you and Brooke, I think, have all four kids involved in that? We do. Very fortunate. Uh, all of our kids uh, uh, left for college for a short term, and all of them have returned uh, back to the area and uh, in some capacity helping us out there uh, at the uh, sale barn or at the feedlot, uh, working right close to home. So that's a real nice thing. One of the wonderful parts of our industry is being able to work with your family on a daily basis, for sure. It is 2020, and of course the pandemic has had quite an impact on the nation. And of course locally we've had, luckily, a lesser impact, but still some. Uh, what have you seen? What are, what are you noticing about the way things are moving for our local economy? Egg, egg economy specifically? You know, I think uh, we, we were set up as we came into this 2020 summer, fall, uh, where we were ready to have some really good cattle markets. I think numbers were a little bit in our favor. I think that the demand had been tremendous and still is tremendous. So when you look at uh, COVID-19 and what it's done to the countryside and the fact that we're still selling beef uh, choice boxes today, I believe, are at 207 or something of that nature. That's that's pretty amazing what we're able to do there. So I think we were in a period uh, of cattle going cycles, and I think you and I have talked about that many times, and we were ready to start into a better cycle. And then COVID-19 hit and uh, really taught us some things, I think, about disruptions in, in the food service industry, disruptions in the uh, cattle slaughter in part of the industry, so, uh, really uh, making a mess of the whole way that we move. And and I think one of the big things that we learned from that is that it's a real bottleneck when you get down to the slaughter end of things. And, and if that gets disrupted, everything on both sides, the food service side and the industry side is very much disrupted. And if we can't get those cattle to the slaughter place and through in a timely fashion, not only did we see some disruptions in the grocery stores? We saw big disruptions at the feedlots and some of these cattle getting pretty big and and having to go to some extreme measures to get them through the chain. Now, what, what we do about that from here on out, that's a great question, but I, but I think it definitely opened the eyes uh, within the industry, not only in the producer side, but uh, in the food service side and the retail side of that uh, the disruptions are real. 
and with only uh, four major Packers, maybe that we need to make some changes, and I hope that does come true. You mentioned a couple things there that interest me, uh, of course, with social distancing and mandatory closing of some smaller businesses, restaurants specifically. Um, I think some of the white tablecloth consumption of our higher-end meats was noticeably decreased, and a lot of it had to turn into burgers. Do you think we're going to trend to a different cut with our meats going forward? You know, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think really, like I mentioned, the fact that choice beef is at 207, when we really have no uh, high-end restaurants, we have uh, no baseball game, you know, there's very little of that side, which was probably 30 to 40% of the retail business when you talk about beef, and we basically have none of it. So they definitely have changed, and I know that there was some disruptions in the way that they have to box it and use the meat, and they've had to make some major changes. But one of the other things we learned from, they were able to adapt that portion of it very quickly. So I I think you're exactly right. Yes, there is some changes. Will we go back to selling those higher ends? I hope so. I mean, I hope we get back to uh, being able to uh, get to restaurants and and have those uh, high-end cuts. That's what beef's noted for, I think, in, in a lot of ways. So, yes, I hope we get back to that. And I think there's been significant changes in the retail side of how they uh, uh, sell this meat and where it goes. It's a loaded question we both already know the answer to, but I feel like I have to ask. Uh, we had the toilet paper shortage, of course, last spring, and then they gave us news that we were going to have a meat shortage. Uh, did you ever see a meat shortage out here? You know, no, not to speak of in this area. You know, there was, I think, if you were at maybe here in Rapid City at some of the bigger chain stores, I don't think they were ever completely out, but, you know, maybe some of the choice products or some of the things that you want, you weren't able to buy exactly what you wanted possibly. I, I don't think we ever saw a real chance of completely running out of meat, but that's, uh, you know, I don't know why the toilet paper, that's kind of like why what comes first, the chicken or the egg, and I'm not sure <laughs> the right answer to that. But uh, uh, So, no, I don't think we did, but I think it did open some eyes, just the fact that it was possible, and I think there was probably some buying that happened, people buying up stuff because they'd heard it might happen, and 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 hopefully that does. That's that's what we need to make some changes. Uh, the bottleneck is real. You know, if you look at a lot of charts and people that have told us about how this works in the meat industry, having to filter 80-some percent of our slaughter into four major packers, and if you break that down, there's three of those quite a little larger than the fourth. It's a real issue for our industry. I mean, one blurp in that, and, and it throws uh, shockwaves all the way down the chain. So that leads me to my next question then. Uh, we had whole beef product on the hoof available to us. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, the bottleneck became there at the slaughter plant. Uh, I think we saw a very aggressive surge towards, uh, I'll, I'll use this, the phrase shade tree butchers uh, pop up this spring. Uh, are you seeing that trend in our area? I, I think without a doubt. You uh, call, and I, I know you have, and, and our local butcher shops there in Belfouche. We've been using them forever, and you're a year out. It's one year before you can uh, get another one in there, and, and those guys, you know, they, they like to move it as fast as they can, but there's only so much they can do, and so there's no doubt, I think, uh, it, it always was a big part of where we live here. A lot of people butcher their own or sell a half to their neighbor or a quarter or whatever they do, and I think it's even gotten a lot larger, and, and I don't see that changing for the uh, short term for sure, and maybe not even in the long term. Yeah, that's a trend where there's been a lot of at-home sales of both pork and beef in our area, and 
um, it's kind of fun. I think we keep the trading society going pretty well. Uh, hopefully we can get some licensing and availability for people to slaughter locally uh, and sell at a retail level more readily. Do you know what specifically what would have to change to allow that to happen? You know, that's one of the things that we have worked on at U.S. Cattlemen's. You know, interstate meat sales, they're, they're antiquated laws and, and they're very slighted to the big packer again. So, for example, if uh, our little locker plant there in Belfouchon, they are federally inspected certain days of the week, want to sell meat across state lines, they really can't do that. There's laws in place that, that don't allow that to happen for them. And it, that's just ridiculous. And, and we definitely, uh, we have a uh, industry working group made up of people that do that for a living. Uh, and they're working really hard on uh, trying to change some of these antiquated laws. And, 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 you know, we want our food to be safe. There's no question that there has to be a lot of food safety concerns when we go to talk about packing houses and, and slaughter. But we also have got to make it viable. We can't make it so that the, the, there's no way that the local guy can't increase instead of killing 10 head a week. Maybe he wants to get up to killing 50 or 100 head a week, and we need to be able to encourage him to be able to do that instead of having to go all to the big guy. And I think if we can get that dispensed a little bit and get some of those uh, regulations in place that allow the little guy to compete uh, I think that's what's caused some of the bottleneck in the in the meat industry is that the regulations have said, you know, you, it's so antiquated or so hard to get, not antiquated, it's so hard to get uh, licensing and, and to get federally inspected and do all the things you have to do that you have to slaughter so many to make any money. I mean, so that's why a lot of these places haven't done it. And I hope we can maybe ease some of those regulations and, and make it a little easier for the smaller, mid-sized guy to get in business and, and compete. I'm going to change direction here briefly just because the timing of, of the year we're having this conversation. You're in the middle of the fall run, a little more than halfway through the fall run? I would say we're, we're, we're kind of headed toward the middle end half because we started so early with the drought. What's your view on the market thus fall, thus far, excuse me, through the fall? Well, I've done this, uh, been in the sale barn business all my life. My dad owned a sale barn before then. And every time I think I understand or even claim to try to say, I know what the market is, it proves me very, very wrong. And this fall, uh, again, did the same thing. As we went into fall, I thought uh, we were maybe headed for a little tough times with all the COVID stuff. And uh, when we started putting pressure on, started selling big runs of calves, I thought I was really nervous about how the calf market would go. And now in the last two to three weeks, it's gotten a fair amount stronger. It's still not enough. And it's, uh, we always need a little more as a producer, but it's 10 to 15 in places, maybe 20 higher than it was in early October. So, and not a lot of rhyme or reason. I, you talk to anybody with throughout the industry and corn's gotten higher Fat cattle haven't changed, and, and here we are selling feeders higher. So I think that's a great thing. I hope we can continue to do it, but uh, trying to explain it becomes harder and harder and harder. Yeah, the market fundamentals may be telling us a little bit of a white lie right now. We, we don't know exactly why, but uh, yeah, it has been a bright spot here of late for sure. So what's the? I'll ask you the worst question first. What's the hardest part of what you do there at the sale barn? You know, the, the hardest thing that we do there is we, we, we got to take about 75% of our business in a month and a half's time. And uh, so when we have eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 head of calves in a sale day to try to get everybody through and, and make sure we're giving them due diligence on their one sale day of the year, that that's a lot of strain on, on us at the sale barn. And, and we definitely want to try to make sure we 
make everybody happy and get everybody through at three o'clock, but it doesn't happen. So that's probably the hardest thing we do during the fall run. I'll move to the positive now because I know you're a positive guy. What's the best part of what you do? You know, the best part is uh, for sure the people we get to deal with. Uh, we, we get to deal with the uh, best people in the world. You know, we still do millions of dollars worth of business on a handshake. And, and I think that's a, a, a huge plus. And, and there's not other industries that can say they do that. And we, we just deal with so many great people and the, they're self-contained. You know, when you talk to anybody that you at the bank or, or us that we deal with, you know, they get up every morning, they go to work. We're in a pandemic, but we still got to go to work and, and we still got to do chores and, and we've got to move this product. And I can't say enough for the how good I feel about where we live and, and the people we have around us because uh, it's I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, this is the local podcast, Clay Berkland, Director of Agricultural Banking of Pioneer Bank and Trust, and Justin Tupper with St. Angela Livestock. Justin, I feel I'd be making a mistake if I didn't have you here and ask you what you see coming at us in the market for the upcoming 12 months and probably even the upcoming four months. So uh, can I get some of your opinion on those topics? You sure can, but I always uh, tell people that uh, whatever I say and whatever I forecast, do exactly the opposite and you'll have a better chance of uh, that working. But you know, we have an on-feed report coming out this Friday. Um, I was on a conference call and visiting with some of my colleagues about what that might say, and I think our numbers probably are going to stay up there, but there's a lot of them believe that the weight breakdown is going to be a big differential from a year ago. And I would say from what we've seen through the sale barn there at St. Ange, way less six-weight cattle due to the drought, selling early, all of those things. So those six- to seven-weight cattle numbers could be down, one prediction said 30 to 40%, which when they throw that into the equation, and if you believe all the prognosticators and whatnot, would mean when we get down the road, April, May, possibly even early June, there maybe could be somewhat of a hole there. Now, whether that holds true or not, I don't know. The only thing I do know is if that is the numbers that come in, I would back up the fact that there's way less six and seven weight steers sold this year than there was in years past. Based largely on drought conditions, would you say, some grasshopper issues? I sure think so. You know, as we did our deliveries for Superior and, and the calves we sell, you know, the same week the guy comes every year, I bet on average was 30 to 50 pounds lighter than a year ago selling the same week. And some guys had to go early, and those were even lighter yet than their normal weights. So that would be what I blame it on. And I think it was pretty widespread. Even the guys in the South say, you know, they were dry, uh, hot and dry longer than normal. So uh, not just a Northern cattle thing. It might be pretty industry spread for once on that side of things. So we clean up our calf run this fall and we're warming up into the period of time when we typically start seeing some bread cow transactions. Uh, any feeling what the market's going to be like there? Yeah, and I think that's really a tough one, Clay, this this year especially, and, and I think in banking, and I know because you and I talk about it, that uh, trying to see what these guys are going to be able to buy with shorter feed situations, they didn't put up near the hay, calf market that was probably you know, I don't, I don't know if it was a ton lower than maybe they would have had in their, their banking sheets, but it was not better for sure. So there's not a lot of extra cash around there and, and no extra feed. The The early time here tells me maybe this deal is not going to be as wild as it was a year ago in the bread cow. I hope I'm wrong, 
but uh, I think we'll see a lot of bred heifers from 13 to 15, and those uh, good young cows, probably 16, 17, will be the top side of it. But they'll be isolated outside deals that I'm sure will be better than that, but uh, I think that'll be somewhere in where we're going to at least start things out here as we get into the bred cow season. Your consignments of bred cattle coming up, are they typical? Are they different than normal? I would say fairly typical, maybe a little less, uh, and a lot of that due to exactly what we've just discussed, probably not uh, a little un- in not knowing what the market may be, um, trying to figure out if holding them till February when it's a little closer to calving and guys don't have to buy as much feed will pay off. Uh, it's a question I get asked often, and I'm not sure that I can give a good answer there either. You know, they've got to bring quite a little more with 100 to $150 a ton hay and uh, very little grazing left in this part of the world just because we had to use a lot of our fall and winter grazing late summer to get through. So it'll be interesting to see how that bread cow deal plays out. I, I think one of the things we for sure have seen, and, and we say this almost every year, I get a lot of people say, well, you're crazy, but the slaughter cows have been coming to town in quick and huge numbers. I think some of that probably is due to maybe a little few more open cows because it was hot and dry late summer. Uh, and of course guys don't have feed, so they're not wanting to keep them around very long. They're getting them to town, but, uh, it looks to me like we may need some, uh, bred cows for some of these to get replaced here after a while, but, uh, maybe they'll wait to do those replacement needs as we get closer to spring. I'm not sure. I believe our bread cow inventory had ballooned to the highest level in a, in a handful of years, and probably a lot of those were the older end of cows that maybe need to come to town now. Uh, how long will it take us to replace those numbers, or do we find the bottom yet? I know that this is not fact. This is opinion. Do you have a, an opinion that direction? You know, I, I think it goes back to what we talked about early on about uh, cattle being in cycles. And, and a lot to do with the cycle has a lot to do with how we balloon those cow numbers up as a whole. Sometimes it's uh, uh, very regional issues that, that change the cow numbers, like a drought. And sometimes it's uh, market factors that, that definitely get us to draw down cow numbers. Or, or if it's like we saw when, uh, what was it, 2014-15, when, when the prices were high, we ballooned them up quite a little. So... I think it has a lot to do with the cattle cycle, and I I do believe that uh, uh, we're in one of those places that if we can get through this COVID-19 and get back to what might even somewhat be normal, beef demand looks very good, and I think uh, the the chances for us to have a pretty bright future in the short term, and and that's saying that we get past COVID-19 in in short order, are pretty good. I I think our industry has a a great chance of... uh, uh, expanding some of our uh, trade deals that, that we've worked on. And I, I think that uh, as long as we can keep consumption going at these rates the way we did through a pandemic, that makes me feel pretty good about what could happen if we get things open back up again. You've mentioned a couple times now the U.S. Cattlemen's Association and your position there. Uh, of course, we've just had an election. We're still awaiting the final outcome of that, but I, I know you guys work both sides. Uh, can you tell me What's at the top of your to-do list with the Cattlemen's Association? I think, uh, you know, one of the things that probably you've heard from U.S. Cattlemen the most is Senator Grassley had a 5014 bill. Uh, we, we, we really want the spot market bills and, and, and to push and be in place. We have to get some standards on the four major packers, the way that they control our 
uh, cattle inventory by buying them ahead or sweetheart deals with uh, certain uh, feedlots. Uh, we'd like to make sure that they have to buy a, a large percentage of those cattle in the spot cash market. And we believe that if they have to do that and they have to be competitive, that lets us stand on our own merits and, and, and we find out what the true market value is. You know, through the pandemic, there's one industry that didn't suffer, the meat packer. They made more money uh, per head than they've ever made before on those critters and and. You know, we want all of sides of the industry to make money, uh, and it's easy to step back and blame the packer, but we're nowhere without them. We've got to have them, but we also need regulations on them. When they get so big uh, that the they can control the market by uh, buying them ahead of time or, or giving sweetheart deals to the big feedlots, uh, that's when it's time. You know, we hate big government, but we, we definitely have to step in and get some regulations put on them, and that's what the spot market bills that uh, – Senator from Nebraska also has introduced one, and Senator Grassley and, and U.S. Cattlemen has actively uh, gotten behind those and tried to push them. Any other hot-button items you guys are working on today? You know, I, th I think uh, there, there's lots of uh, places within the cattle industry that we need to work together, and I think that's one of the things that uh, U.S. Cattlemen that we've talked a lot about uh, we have uh, many cattle industry groups out there, and it seems like... Uh, Everybody has their fists up at all times, and as small as our industry is in the grand scheme of things, that's what makes it tough to accomplish some of our goals sometimes. And I, I guess at U.S. Cattlemen's, one of the things we push all the time is we'd like to work with anybody and everybody. You mentioned the presidential election. Um, no matter what happens, we, we've got to work with the next incoming uh, president and the incoming Congress. So, uh, to get our goals accomplished, you have to be able to reach across the aisle. And I think uh, that's what we'd like to do with uh, some of the industry groups as well. Uh, 80, 90 percent of the time, especially with some of these groups, we agree. And then there's always that 10, 15 percent that uh, seems to get in the way of getting anything done. And uh, we, we really would like to be the group that reaches across the aisle and tries to uh, uh, push uh, that 80 percent of our agenda, which is the agenda of all cattle producers and, and feeders and, and try to get that done. I know earlier this spring you did quite a bit of work uh, helping to determine which direction some of the CAFSA payments were going to go. Uh, how, how does that process work? You know, that that's a really interesting. When you start talking about the USDA, uh, and I've been to Washington quite a few times, and I think you have. I mean, the, their buildings are larger than most of our cities, it seems like, and they, they could be calling down the, the uh, hallway and you just as well be calling to England for that matter because it's so far apart. But that's bureaucracy, and, and that's kind of what happened with some of those payment deals. I think as an industry, we, we would don't want to get dependent like the grain industry did on having the government having to give us payments. Uh, there was some times here that, that I think it was very merited what uh, they did, how they did it. We had definitely some grievances with Um but to get inside the USDA and get into that level of talks about how that uh, is going to be distributed and who's going to get what uh, is really tough to do. But that's why USCA is continually trying to work with uh, partners that they have at USDA uh, and continuing trying to work through Congress. Like if we need those, sometimes Congress has to direct USDA how to spend or how to do that. In this case, Congress set aside a bunch of money and they kicked it over to USDA and said, figure out how to spend it. Um, 
I, I wouldn't say it was a perfect scenario, but I do think, you know, the cattle guys got a pretty good share of that. And I think it definitely in the time of COVID is going to be helpful. Uh, again, it wasn't exactly how we would have saw it being distributed, but uh, uh, at least there was efforts there. And I think uh, uh, being at the table and uh, Senator Hoven was very uh, instrumental from uh, North Dakota in getting some of that through. And we have a great relationship with him and his office. So uh, it's not easy. Uh, and especially when you deal with USDA, a huge bureaucracy, but uh, w U.S. Cattlemen always wants to be at the table and doing what we can. So do you have an opinion, any idea who we might see coming for a change in Secretary of Agriculture? You know, I heard one name floated, and, and uh, again, I don't like to get political. Uh, I think everybody knows who where everybody's stances are, but Heidi Heidkamp was a name that was floated around if Biden... Uh, is the president an incoming, and uh, she was a great person to work with from North Dakota who understands the cattle industry, and I think, uh, you know, if that was the case and she her name was floated for uh, Secretary of Ag, I, I, I would say she would be wonderful on the cattle side of things to work with, you know, and staying not political, of course, but uh, uh, she was very good to work with when she was in Congress, and she definitely has a feel for the cattle industry and, and, and understands it inside and out. So that was one name that I did see. Uh, I don't even remember what I was looking at that was a possibility. And, you know, it's we've had uh, a secretary of ag that's from the south and, and, and is more into the uh, pork and chicken side of things, that that was their forte. And I'm not saying that's bad, uh, but it would be uh, very interesting to have a secretary of ag that uh, was a little closer to the cattle side of things. So... Our careers in, in agriculture go back a little over 25 years. Uh, the cash trade back then was, was it 90% when we started? Yeah, I, I would say all of, and I, the, without being quoted historical numbers, you know, and we've just went, uh, one of the reasons we need this is in 25 years, 30 years, whatever it is, have went from, uh, and I'm, again, don't quote me on exact percentages, but down to less than 30% uh, being actually cash traded. And I think that's, it, a really a product of where it is. You know, everybody thinks that uh, getting that top dollar, if they give you an extra dollar, you know, if you'll hold them for this long, well, that's all fine and good. But it also just lands right in the lap of the packer because then they can control how much is moving and, and how much they have on hand, and they don't have to go out and compete for it. And, you know, being in the sale barn business, competition is what we believe it's all about. You know, uh, we compete every day, uh, and we have to be a service business for the customer. And if we don't do a good job or we don't do what we're supposed to do, then we don't have the business. And and that's what just what we would like to see when it comes to the packing industry, too, is that they have to compete. And if you have a superior product, you should get paid a little more. We, we, we believe in that, and that's what happens through the auction side of things. And uh, I, I just think that if we could get – back to i think what you were alluding to 25 30 years ago where more of this was on a cash basis and week to week basis and not being able to uh control that much inventory that would be a big part of uh, uh fixing some of the uh, short term needs of the cattle industry certainly there's no better place that illustrates price discovery than a sale barn and uh, price discovery is one of the challenges with the limited cash trade is where does the market really lie and it's Hard to determine that when so much of it is predetermined on a slaughter day. So certainly appreciate your folks' effort that direction and hope we can 
gain some ground there to, to get a little more of the cash trade happen on a daily basis. This is the local podcast. I'm Clay Berkland, Director of Agricultural Banking with Pioneer Bank and Trust. Happy to have Justin Tupper as our guest today. Welcome back to the local podcast. Uh, this is Clay Berkland, and I do have as my guest today Justin Tupper with St. Ange Livestock. Justin, we, we touched on the fact you and I have been doing this for 25-plus years now. Uh, what's the biggest change you've seen in our industry locally during your tenure at the sale barn? That's a good question, but you are older than me, so I'll make sure we get that in there, that slightly, you, you are slightly, slightly older than me. But, uh, you know, I think some of the biggest changes, uh, how we move uh, these cattle around, um, you know, technology has done that with video sales and ring scales. I think about uh, when we have a big sale in St. Ange and we go all day long and the gals in the office used to have to handwrite that, and uh, I can't even hardly imagine how that uh, all went trying to do that all by hand with the computers and the systems we have today. But that's probably one of the biggest changes. I think another thing that's big is the genetics have gotten so much better. Um, we, we've done this uh, with these cattle where, you know, you can breed heifers to Charlet bulls. You know, I mean, genetics have really changed uh, a lot of things, not only in the genetics for breeding heifers, but genetics for carcass data, genetics for environment you know i think that's another thing that we continually work on is uh, what cattle work the best in our environment in this part of the world and 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 genetics are a big part of that so i think probably if i had to say those would be the two biggest things that i've seen change over the last 25 30 years it's kind of funny to be an observer down there at the sale barn uh, yeah we've we've advanced technology so much and delivery of information happens so quickly yet at the same time you still have to unload the trucks. You still have to sort the cattle. You still got to pen them back, and it still takes human bodies to do that. How many how many folks do you have there on a given Friday during the fall run? Never enough, I'm sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, quite a crew, and we're very thankful. We have a great crew there at St. Ange, and so anywhere from 50 to 60, 70 people on a sale day, uh, and you're exactly right. I mean, when you talk about eight, nine, ten thousand calves or 3,000 way-up cows, they all have to move. They all got to get unloaded, and they all got to go through the ring, and then they've all got to get loaded back up again. And uh, it takes an army to do that, and uh, we're very thankful. We have a great crew there at St. Anch uh, that uh, is able to do that. Have trucks been a challenge this fall to get available? They have been. I would say maybe a little less. I, I, I mean, I don't know if I've heard about it as much as some falls. I mean, it's still been a struggle. Uh, one of the things that uh, we've done there, we spread out. We have sales Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. That helps spread it out a little bit. I think the drought maybe helped spread out it a little bit because we maybe started a little sooner, and so maybe we didn't bottleneck them quite as bad. Another thing that some falls we obviously see is weather, uh, and for the most part we had that one snowstorm there, what was that, two, three weeks ago, and, and maybe slowed things down a little bit. But other than that, the weather's been pretty tremendous, so we've been able to uh, keep things moving that way. And that's one of the times in the fall if we have a weather event and it's right in the heart of selling them and then that's when trucks and things can get really sticky but uh, it's been really good that way so far I'd guess this fall. We've talked pretty heavily about the beef cattle uh, of course you also have the Newell sheep yards uh, can you tell me about the fall has been like over there? And that's a that's an interesting one too uh, I was at the uh, annual sheep convention that was uh, for the South Dakota uh, Wool Growers Association and they, they've had quite a year. The sheep lost one of their major packers. It, it was right before fall, uh, and 
it was uh, industry owned, I guess is the way to say it. Uh, and it was looked like maybe we were going to have a really tough fall for these guys selling lambs because we weren't going to be able to get them slaughtered. And another plant did come online. And, and I can tell you over in Newell, we've saw more new buyers than, than probably we've seen in the 16 years that we've been there. Um, and a market that really kind of took off. I mean, it's probably uh, 20 to 30 higher than it was when we started the fall, maybe even in places 40 to 50 higher. Uh, and we sold slaughter ewes a week ago there for a dollar a pound. I don't know that I ever remember seeing that. Uh, so I think uh, the, the sheep industry is a smaller group. You know, it's, it's a... Um, a small world, so to speak. Everybody kind of knows everybody through that sheep industry, but uh, the ethnic um, demand for lamb, especially with some of this COVID-19 stuff, has really changed. Um, so for some of their holidays and, and whatnot, that's a big thing is eating lamb, and they've had to find ways to uh, locally slaughter and, and do some of those things, and I think that's some of the uh, business that we've seen and some of the push that's made this market better um, again we spread it back out we went back to maybe not having it all go through one big chain and uh, we spread it out a little bit and then we put a little competition and I think you see what happened it got better and that's not necessarily what maybe the prognosticators would have said was going to happen or even me for that matter I'm not sure you could predict any of that but it's interesting when you when you broaden the base again and and we we bring in competition uh, it looks like that was a good thing for the market. We definitely all do better with competition. So beyond the daily workings that you do have there at the sale barn and your activities with the U.S. Cattlemen's, I'm very aware of your involvement with the Country Club Board of Directors and then, of course, the Black Hills Roundup. And uh, the Roundup was a unique event this year. It was one of the first things to go back online. Uh, when did you make that decision? Early in May? Yeah, and a, another uh, great group of uh, people that we get to work with there at the Black Hills Roundup. And uh, I know we had a couple meetings there, and they talked about uh, masks and six feet apart. And, well, again, I probably need to be careful and not get too political here, but uh, all of that board said, you know, this is Belfouche, South Dakota. This is rodeo country. This is uh, we're going to go forward, and if we're going to go forward, we're going to go like – Nothing happened. We're going to just continue, and it, it turned out to be a great event. And and I, you, we had cowboys from all over. Uh, the unbelievable amount of entries, and they were so thankful to have a place to uh, be rodeoing on the Fourth of July. And a uh, great group of sponsors up there. Little old Belfouche, and and you know we can add seven to ten thousand or fourteen thousand. I think we had in the bronc riding, and that's a testament to uh, great sponsors that we have around the Belfouche area there. And Pioneer Bank's been a big part of that too and uh, just can't say enough about uh, how wonderful it was to have that event over the 4th of July this summer. I know there were some very grateful cowboys in town to, to actually have a place to go. I'd, were there 10 rodeos before Belfouche there in that stretch? Very few and and uh, it, it kind of opened the door for some others and, and just like everything else with COVID it went you you either were all in or you were all out it looked like in the rodeo world and and that's kind of how it went the rest of the summer and hopefully Belfouche was able to open the door a little bit for that and and uh, yeah it was quite an event it was really fun to watch how many years have you been on that board uh, I think about 12 
served as the the chairman for a couple of years. Yep, I've had my turn as chairman there. So, uh, great group, and uh, again, can't say enough about the Black Hills Roundup and the the community there to have that event and that facility uh, right there in Little Old Belfouche, and I think it's a testament to. Uh, who the people are around there and how we grew up and what we believe in. Yeah, if you want to see a slice of America on the 4th of July, just come to Belfouche and see the flyover, the fireworks, the, the carnival, the rodeo. It's, I guess we're probably bragging pretty heavy on our hometown, but they deserve it. it it's, a, it's a great event and certainly appreciate you being a part of that all these years. Well, I don't know that we have many more topics we can inform people on today, Justin. I certainly appreciate your time, uh, appreciate your opinions, and as always, appreciate your friendship. Thank you for being on the local podcast today. Well, appreciate that and appreciate the opportunity. And I guess uh, uh, just in closing, one of the things I would say is uh, uh, I hope everybody gets involved. You know, not everybody's going to agree on every issue, and it doesn't matter if you're involved in the Black Hills Roundup or U.S. Cattlemen or, or you're involved in your local government. Uh, if we want our way of life to survive and, and we want to continue doing the things that we do, that means you have to get involved and, and you have to look in the mirror and that you has to be you each and every day. And uh, I, I just can't say enough how much it means when people do get involved and it's frustrating at times, but that's how things get done. And uh, uh, I'm glad to say that uh, we have a great group of people uh, up in this part of the world that do get involved and we have to continue to do that. So uh, this podcast is a, a big part of that, to being able to inform people and uh, uh, glad to be on here and give my two cents worth. Well, that was very well said and a great call to action to our listeners. This is the local podcast. I am Clay Berkland, Director of Agricultural Banking at Pioneer Bank and Trust. Uh, my guest today has been Justin Tupper. Justin, thanks again.